we're in this series that is titled A Heart After God. And we've kind of been trying to answer this question, if you would. What does it mean to have a heart after God? Because if you're anything like me, and, and I love David in the Bible, the character of David, but we can acknowledge that David messed up a whole lot. And so this guy that messed up so much, yet is the only person that the scripture says God has called him a man after his own heart. He says it to Samuel when he tells him to go anointed. I have found for myself a man after my own heart. And it says it in the book of Acts when he's saying, and David was a man after all God's own heart who did all of God's will. So how is it that somebody can be called a man after God's own heart and have all these flaws and all these failures? And so in the first two parts of the series, we've hit a couple of those things. One of them was obedience. Through everything, David was obedient to God. He messed up, but he was obedient to God. A second component was the fact that he did what God willed. It was in his desire to fulfill the will of God. And, and, and that's one of those things that will separate a person that has a heart after God. Are you willing to do the will of God? Last week, we talked about humility and repentance. And you may look and say, well, what, what, how do those two go together? Well, you will not repent if you are not humble. Pride doesn't let you say I'm sorry, does it? Even when you're wrong. Humility. And David, even though he messed up, he was humble and quick to repent. And we talked about repentance being acknowledging what God said and returning to what he said, doing what he said. Because it's not true repentance if you continue to do the same thing, is it? Like, I'm sorry I stepped on you and you step on them again as you say it. That's not real. And many times we, we, we kind of faux repent and I'm sorry, but we continue to do the same exact behavior. And we see that when David repented, he shifted. We, we never saw an immoral thing with him again, like with Bathsheba and killing Uriah and all of these different things. There was a change when there was a repentance. And today I want to talk about two other things in the life of David that should be present in our lives as well if we want to be a person after the heart of God. And it is this. It is worship and prayer. Worship and prayer. These are two things that as well we recognize of a person that has a heart after God. A heart devoted to God in continual worship and prayer. Not just every once in a while. Right? Not every once in a while, but continually devoted in worship and in prayer. Can I tell you what the scripture says? It says that God is looking for worshipers. Go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. This is one of the most famous passages on evangelism, on what it is to be an evangelist, because we see Jesus at the well in Samaria, and this woman whom he begins to talk to, and he asks her for a cup of water, and her first thing is, how are you, being a Jew, are talking to me, being a Samaritan? And forget about the Samaritan, it was also a woman. It was a double whammy, right? The men were very cautious, they didn't talk to women in that capacity, unless it was somebody they were related to or connected to or whatnot, and she was a Samaritan, so it was a double whammy. And Jesus tells her, hey, if you know who he was talking to you and asking you for water, you would ask him for water, right? And they had this whole conversation. And then we get to verse number 21 of chapter 4. It says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. 
But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And look what Jesus says there. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God is seeking worshipers. God is seeking people to worship him. And can I tell you, God does not share his glory with anyone. When you look up the definition of worship, like many times we think worship is slow songs. Praise is fast, worship is slow. But the reality is if you look up the definition of worship is to render honor or reverence. That is what the word worship means. And God is looking for those that will render him honor, that will be reverent unto him continually. And it's not just an expression of song, an expression of music, although that is part of it or can be part of it. And we're going to break that down in a little bit more. But God is looking for worshipers and he does not share his glory. As a matter of fact, when you see Moses out in the Desert with the children of Israel, he climbs the mountain. God is giving him the commandments. We know one of the commandments is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. You shall not worship anybody else, right? In the midst of God talking with Moses, the children of Israel down at the bottom begin to worship something else. So Moses goes down and finds Aaron with all the children of Israel worshiping a golden calf. And Moses, indignant, even throws the tablets, right? Like, like, you know, before Tom Brady broke a tablet in the NFL football game, Moses slashed some tablets down in the Old Testament. If you didn't get it, you don't watch football, and that's okay. But now there is a new Tom Brady rule. The NFL has now made a rule where it is not, you get fined if you break a tablet. Uh, anyway, sorry. God will not share his glory. Now, you know, many of us enter idolatry. And I'm not talking about the Virgin Mary, which is idolatry, or Swanghamboko, or whatever the saint may be. I'm talking about when we put something in the place of God and we honor it before we honor God. That's idolatry. Many times we look at idolatry simply as an idol that we put or worship to. But many of us, we begin to give and render worship onto our career or onto our spouse or onto our job or onto our kids or onto X, Y, or Z. And those things that God has given us, we tend to idolize them and put them in the place of God in our lives. And that, my friend, is also idolatry. And God will not share his worship. The Bible says he is a jealous God. Don't look at something else the way you're supposed to look at me. You know, my wife does not get upset at a waitress or a thing in a restaurant. You know, sometimes a, a waitress says, they pasa la mano, they're a little too sweetie, this side or the other. She doesn't get upset at them. She's going to judge it based on how I respond. Let's be real. That's the way, and we, so we, we've, I just look at them and I was like, uh-uh. Or I just put my head down, I was like, honey, you talk to them. I don't, I don't need that. I don't, I, you know. She can't control the woman. Now, if I respond, that's a different ballgame. Because I honor her as my wife, right? And so it's the same way. We are the bride. 
We are the bride, the church. So why are we rendering worship to the flirtations of the world instead of bringing honor to God? Our worship is to him and he's looking for worshipers. He's looking for worshipers. David was a worshiper and David was a prayer warrior. He was a worshiper and he was a prayer warrior. David, the Bible recounts, was a worshiper out in the fields. He has Psalms that talk about him in the fields and the glories of God. David was a worshiper in the courts. When Saul was the king and being tormented with evil spirits or whatnot, David would come and play the harp and the presence of God would fall and the distressing spirits would leave Saul. David danced before the presence of God. When the Ark of the Covenant was brought back in, when he was king, so it's not just when he was a shepherd boy, not just when he was there before the king playing the harp, not just in the different fields or the places, but when he was king and the Ark was brought back to Jerusalem, the Bible says that he began to dance. His wife got jealous of his worship for God and said, you, what are you doing? And he said, I will be even more undignified than this. He laid down everything to worship God. He was a worshiper. He was a prayer warrior. He was constantly praying. Psalm 55, Psalm 55, verse 17. The 55th Psalm, verse 17. It says this, Psalm 55, 17. If you look it up, this is what David writes and says there. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. You know, we talk about Daniel praying three times a day. David multiple times writes about this and he talks here, evening, morning, at noon, I will pray. He was constantly praying. As a matter of fact, David, if you're like me, you might have attributed the whole book of Psalms to David at one point in time in your life. Now, David actually, he is known to have written 73. 73 of the 150 Psalms says they were written by David. There's some that were written by Solomon. There were some that were written by Moses. There's some that were written by Asaph. And there's some that are, 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 doesn't have an author. Of those that don't have an author, some of them, they think it was David. Regardless, he wrote the majority of them. And not only are they songs, many of them are prayers. Do you know that you can write your prayers to God? Sometimes you feel like, I don't, I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to express it. God has gifted you with writing. Get a notebook and write down what you are talking to God about. As a journal, write it. You can write your prayers. Many of these Psalms are David saying, I cry out to you, God. You are my deliverer, God. You are my trust. You are my hope. We quote it as part of our prayers today. Lord, you are my shepherd. I shall not want. You make me lie down in green pastures. You are declaring it as a prayer. David wrote it as a prayer and as a worship. We can declare it, but we need to be worshipers and prayer warriors, continually praying. Evening, morning, at noon, I will seek you. I wrote it down this way. We need to worship and pray in every season. Worship and pray in every season. Worship and pray in every season. What does that mean? In good moments, you should continue to worship and pray. And in bad moments, you should worship and pray. What do we tend to do? We tend to worship when things are good and we pray when things are bad. But you need to do them both all the time. 
the song. I, I said it during first service because I don't participate in picking the set list of worship. Our worship leader, uh, uh, Damaris, she, she prays, she gets the worship list, she gets those things. But every song today connected on rejoicing, it connected on, on doing that continually, it connected on, on wanting that fire from God, it connected that last song that we just did on being on, on the mountains or on the valleys, you're writing my story, you're holding it together, all of these things. Guys, we need to continually worship and pray in every season. Look what David writes in Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verse number one, David starts it off saying this, I will bless the Lord every once in a while. I will bless the Lord when things are going good. I will bless the Lord when Goliath has been knocked down. That's not what David writes. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, I want you to... David wasn't... It wasn't fair. Because David was a man's man, warrior, killers of thousands, knocked out Goliath, lion, bear, oh my, right? Like the guy did it all. He was king. He was the one that did all these different things. And the Bible also says that he was handsome and good looking. Because usually, you know, you have a really talented person and they're ugly as a dog. You know what I'm saying? Like, but like he was the complete package. Had everything. And he was a man after God's own heart. Like, it ain't fair, right? And if he could look and say, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. He could acknowledge constantly it wasn't him, it was God. That ties back to what we talked about last week. It's part of humility, recognizing it's not me. It's not me. A humble person worships. A prideful person wants to be worshiped. I'll say that again. A humble person worships. A prideful person wants to be worshiped. And you and I have to bless him at all times. Go to Psalm 63. Psalm 63 is so powerful. Look what he writes here. Psalm 63, David says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. In other words, God, I'm going to start my day off with you. I hear it all the time. People say, well, you know, I like to read the Bible at night because I'm a night owl. Well, can I tell you, if you get on the road trip, on a quarter tank, you might not make it to your destination to fill up. So if you are going to live your entire day and when you are tired after work and all those things is the time you're going to separate for God, chances are you're not going to be able to get everything out of it you wanted to. David, the massive warrior man of God, said early I will seek you. Can I give you a side note here? You will control your morning if you control your evening. What does that mean? Go to bed earlier. Don't watch TV till you fall asleep. Change the settings on your phone to have the night setting where it's not that blue light that does not allow your physical body to produce the melatonin it's supposed to produce the way that God created it so that you can be given the signal that it's time to go to bed. Change things in your behavior. Don't drink caffeine after 4 o'clock in the afternoon. These are studies that are done, by the way. 
I don't know why I can't sleep. I don't know what happened. It might have been the seven Red Bulls you drank today. If you're having to go on seven Red Bulls, it's because you're not resting. And you're going to hit the snooze button even if you say, I'm going to put the alarm to wake up tomorrow and worship God a few minutes earlier. Sorry, this is practical. I get it. It's not super spiritual, but it's truth right now. If you control your evening, you will have better control of your day. If you're always rushing to get out the door, prep your stuff the day before. Part of the routine in our home with our children is they leave their uniform on their door the night before. They leave their outfits for Sunday morning. They're put out the night before. All these different little things like that. Why? Because if at 7.30 in the morning you're trying to figure out, oh, I forgot, we leave to school before 7 in the morning. So if at 6.30 they're trying to figure out, where's my this, where's that? Oh, that, it just doesn't happen. Take care of it, the control of it the night before, and then you'll be able to give time to God. And that's why David says, you are my God. Early will I seek you before I do anything else. Look what he says. Look at this, how poetic he writes it, guys. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus, I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you. You and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I will meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. Look at his day. I get up early to worship you, God, and spend time with you. And when I'm in bed and I think of what you've done, I think about you and I worship you. It was a continual worship, continual prayer. We need to continually, continually worship and pray. And in every single season, in every single season, I wrote this down, worship and pray continually throughout the day. Worship and pray continually throughout the day. Worship and pray continually throughout the day. First Thessalonians chapter number five, verses 16 to 18. Look what it says. First Thessalonians chapter number five, verses 16 to 17. It says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God for your life. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. So I said that the song Rejoice was part of the set list today. No, not planned, but it's the same Holy Spirit that speaks to Dammers, that speaks to me. My wife this morning, when she opened a, a service in the first service, and I said it, and then she used the same verse in second service about David going ahead and setting aside to build this altar for God. And, and when she got off the, the altar at first service, I looked at her, I was like, I'm preaching about David the worshiper this morning and David the prayer warrior this morning. Why? Because it's the same Holy Spirit. God wants to talk to you. As a matter of fact, I want you to say this this morning. God wants to talk to me. A little louder. Come on. 
If you're watching online, put it in the comment box right now. God wants to talk to me. God wants to talk to you. God wants to talk to you. He wants a relationship with you. And he wants you to worship him, which is to render him honor, to render him praise, to live a life that honors him and pleases him. We do it throughout the day. I love Smith Wigglesworth, if you're familiar with who he is as a man of God. And I quoted him yesterday in the men's breakfast and uh, I, I actually misquoted his quote. In the breakfast yesterday, I looked at the men, and I was like, I'm reminded Smith Wigglesworth always said, I rarely spend an hour in prayer, but I never go more than an hour without praying. And as I was reviewing everything this morning, I looked up the quote again and things like that, I was like, oh man, I said it wrong, because the actual quote from his in the book is, I seldom spend more than a half hour in prayer but I will never go more than half an hour without praying. So for the men that were at breakfast yesterday, I said an hour and it was half an hour, not an hour. It was even more. Can I tell you something? Let's talk about prayer for a second. Prayer is talking to God. It is great to kneel and pray, but that's not the only way you pray. That means that as you're driving, you can talk to God. As you're walking, you can talk to God. As you're going on a jog, in your workplace, wherever you are, you can talk to God continually. And what should we talk to God about? Everything. You know, like when your kids get in the car, or if you had that phase in your life, right? You picked up the kids from school. How was your day? And your kid just says, fine. As a dad, I'm like, I need more details. What was fine? How was art class? How was English class? How was math class? Did they teach you anything new today? I ask them all these questions and that's like dragging it out. God wants the same thing. He basically looks at you and says, hey, JJ, how was your day? Thanks, God. It was good. What else? Give me more. It's just talking to God. Many times our conversations with God, though, is only what we need when we need it. But talking to God should be about all kinds of things and praying about everything and, and, and everything you go to do and every decision you go to make, constantly praying and constantly talking to God, continually. I wrote this thought down, intentional in our worship expression and continual prayer. Intentional in our worship expression and in continual prayer. Intentional in our worship expression and in continual prayer. I don't know, maybe it's me, but sometimes I don't feel like it because it was a rough day, because life was hard. Have you ever been there? I'm sure David was. I mean, so many times David was saying, like, I'm in this place. I mean, many actually people think that David dealt with anxiety and depression based on some of the Psalms that he wrote. I don't know if that's accurate or not, or if he was just being broken before the presence of God. I don't know the answer. All I know is this. He was continually going before the presence of God. Continually. And look at Psalm 103. It is a beautiful picture. Psalm 103. I see it as perhaps a prayer that David wrote as a reminder to himself as he was praying, like if God was talking, and he says this, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David was reminding himself, forget not his benefits. Man, it's so easy to forget things that God has done for us because of what we're missing right now. Something is going on right now in front of us, and we forget everything else that had taken place before, isn't it? David looked at it and said, no, 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 bless the Lord. David, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. All my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Forget not all his benefits, who heals you, who crowns you, who is the one that restores you. Bless the Lord, and don't forget. Bless the Lord, and don't forget. Even on the days, I would actually say, especially on the days that you don't feel like it. Now, I said a few minutes ago, many times people ascribe or attribute worship to the slow songs that are sung. That is a worship song. And a praise song is the fast song. Well, the reality is this. Worship is more than a song. It's a lifestyle. Worship is more than a song. It's a lifestyle. I can't play an instrument. I can't sing. Like, I know when I can, like, keep up with them and when I can't. So I put the microphone down and I'll keep singing. But I'll put it away because I know that I can't. But I'm a worshiper. More than just with songs, but with your actions, you worship God. Colossians 3.17 says that in everything you do, whether work or deed, do it all for the glory of God. Can I tell you something? As you work at your workplace, wherever that workplace is, if you do it as unto God, you're worshiping God. When you look at someone and you assist them and you help them and you reach out to them, you are worshiping God. As a matter of fact, you worship God with your kindness. Can I tell you, David worshiped God with his kindness. 2 Samuel chapter 9, it says that David looked and searched, is there someone from the house of Saul that I can show honor to, that I can show kindness to? And they told him, Jonathan had a son, and he's a cripple. And he said, go find me Meshiboth. And when they brought him, he was afraid, the young man. And he said, no, I want to honor you because of your father, Jonathan. You will forever sit at my table. The very next chapter, it says that one of these kings, died who had treated him kindly. So he said, I will send people over there to show kindness because his father showed kindness to me. That is worship unto God. How I treat you and you and you is a way that I honor God. Because can I tell you something? God made you too. And I need to honor you and respect you and treat you well and love on you because that's part of my worship unto God. It's part of my worship. Everything we do preaches the gospel, and everything we do is supposed to be worship unto God. I gave the example last week of the guy that was mopping the floors at the factory where they were building some of the components for the Apollo missions. 
And President Kennedy was walking the hallways being shown, and he looked and said, why are you mopping the floors at this hour? And he said, excuse me, Mr. President, I'm not mopping floors. I'm putting a man on the moon. Can I tell you something? When you are walking in a righteous way, the way God wants you to, all of that is to bring honor to God. All of that, I can't tell you, not just because I'm a pastor, because I've heard it before I was a pastor, how many people want nothing to do with God because of a bad conversation or a bad interaction with a Christian, a so-called Christian. That conversation didn't bring worship to God. That action didn't bring worship to God. We need to understand everything we do brings worship unto God. When we shift and see that everything that I'm doing is to bring God, God, honor to God, glory to God, worship unto God, it changes the perspective and we're able to have that heart after God. Can I tell you one more thing this morning? We need to intentionally make room for God. Intentionally make room for God. We will never have time. As a matter of fact, I haven't tried this yet. But I, it almost feels like every day is shorter. Like, it's not even 24 hours anymore. Doesn't it feel that way? Like, today is Sunday. It felt like yesterday was Sunday. It's like the days are going by faster and faster. Jesus did say it. In the latter days, the days would be shortened, right? Like, if not, even the saved wouldn't be able to get it. And so the days are, man, they're going by quick, and they're going by quick, and they're going by quick. So if you don't make room for God, you will never have room for God. David was intentional in making room for God. As a matter of fact, it says that he pitched a tent and prepared a place to bring the ark and for it to have a place. It says that then when that plague had come toward the end of his life, when he had messed up and he found the angel of the Lord and he wanted to build the sacrifice and he wanted to build the altar, the owner of the plot of land said, I will give you the land. And David said, no, what does it cost you? Because I will not go before God empty handed without it costing me something. David was saying what Romans 12 tells us, I'm a living sacrifice. It costs me something. You know, I, one of my, it, it's a good phrase and a bad phrase, in my opinion. I hear a ton of people announce it this way, advertise this way, their church or whatnot. Just come just as you are. That is great. But we need to equally represent and say this, don't stay the way you are. Come as you are. Jesus had everybody come. But how did he end the conversation? Go and sin no more. So yes, come just as you are, but don't stay the way you are. Because you have been made a new creation. The old has passed away. Therefore, all things are made new. So yes, come the way you are, but be willing for God to say, I don't like that part. Will you sacrifice it to me? I don't like that you're listening to. Will you sacrifice it to me? I don't like the way that you have those conversations. Will you sacrifice that to me? Will you pull it off? Or will you continue to bring honor to something else that isn't me? A heart after God will worship God and make room for God. 
David not only made the room, then David woke up one day and said, I live in a beautiful palace that God has given me. I want to make a house for God. And he called the prophet and said, hey, I want to build a house for God. The prophet didn't pray about it. The prophet said, that's a great idea. Then God told the prophet, hey, I don't want a house from David. He's an amazing guy, but he's shed a whole lot of blood. His son's going to build me the house. Do you know what David did? David didn't say, oh, man, shucks. No, as a matter of fact, you know what David did? He made a capital gains building fund. And he separated all kinds of money from the, per- from the treasuries of Israel for it, but from his personal treasuries. First, Chron- First Chronicles chapter 29 describes what David gave from his personal treasury for the building of the temple. One of the items was 3,000 talents of gold. I looked it up. You ready for this one? In today, this is today's value. One talent of gold would translate to $1,852,870. Multiply that by 3,000, it's more than $5.5 billion in just gold, plus the like 7,000 talents of silver and all the other things that from his personal treasury, he said, well, I ain't taking it with me to the grave, so it's, not, it's going to the kingdom of God. It's going to build the house of God. He made room for God. Guys, we need to make room for God. Everything onto him. Last thought, I want you to write it down. Our intentional devotion to worship and prayer will make people want God. Our intentional devotion to worship and prayer will lead others to desire God. When people see that even in a crisis, you're okay, and that when things are amazing, you're okay, they'll want what we have. So we need to worship and pray in every season because as we do that, people will surrender their lives to God, not because of anything we did, but because everything they see through us points to him. Church, as we ask ourselves, worship me if you come to the altar, as we ask ourselves, what does it mean to have a heart after God? Yeah, obedience, willing to do his will, humility, repentance. We need to be people who worship and pray continually because as we do that, as we are constantly devoting ourselves to him, it changes it. You know, I said a little while ago in the message that sometimes we walk into idolatry and not necessarily with an idol, but with a person. And I honor my wife, and I love my wife, but I honor her for one of the things that I honor her for, better said, is the fact that I know she loves God more than she loves me. And I'm happy for that. We established when we were dating, not engaged, not married, when we were dating, God would always come first. And I can vividly remember an opportunity to go on a missions trip that we were doing, an activity we were doing, a prayer thing, and it fell on a birthday. 
And she said, we can eat another day. Go do what God said to do. And that's the way we always have lived our stuff. Ministry, not ministry, God comes first. I will say no to a ministry engagement for family if that's the way that God ordained it that day. But I will never say no to God. Notice what I'm saying there. Because not every opportunity is God. Not every opportunity is God. Last year, it was crazy. I don't get invited to go preach much in places. I pastor. This is my role. This is what I'm called to do. But last year, when I took my sabbatical, I got like four preaching invites. And I, I was like, uh-uh. God told me to go on a sabbatical. I can't go preach somewhere for an honorarium and a thing. He told me to go rest. I was like, I've passed. I'm not. I said, no. So there's a difference there. That's a whole other preaching. Don't put as an idol the very thing that God blessed you with. What he wants from you is your undivided worship. Because when you put something in his place, it's idolatry. And he's seeking worshipers and prayer warriors. Come on, let's stand to our feet this morning. And what I ask you to do this morning is as we begin to lift our voice in singing unto him, I want you to have a moment of self-reflection and prayer with God. And if there's things in our lives, something in your life that you have put in the place of God, just repent. Say, God, I'm sorry for putting my kid more important than you when you gave him to me. Or I'm sorry for putting my job and my career in the place where you need to be. Or I'm sorry for putting X, Y, or Z, whatever it might be. God, I'm sorry for putting that in the place where you should have been. And just recalibrate. Recalibrate. Receive his forgiveness, his restoration, and make a covenant with him. You and him make a covenant. God, I'm going to worship you in every season, and I'm going to pray through everything in every season continually, because that's what it is to have a heart after you. In Jesus' name.